Thank you to our sponsor, Creative Cities Convention. This year, Creative Cities Convention is a virtual event. For £75 plus VAT, you will get around 30 sessions, including talks and debates on the hot topics in production and broadcasting across the UK from industry leaders and experts, all available on demand from the 22nd of April to the 31st of May, 2021. To buy a ticket or see the lineup, please visit www.creativecitiesconvention.com. And now, on with the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your weekly guide to the biggest topics in the TV world. It's been two years since ITV cancelled The Jeremy Kyle Show, following the death of a participant, Steve Diamond, a week after filming an episode of The Daily Show. The incident sparked a period of reckoning in the way in which the industry treats contributors, along with throwing open wider duty of care debates. And starting this month, producers need to abide by a fresh set of guidelines updated by Ofcom. Joining me to dissect are three of the brightest indie minds in the business. The Gardens, Magnus Temple, Initials, Katie Manley, and BBC Studios, Kirsty Cunningham. So welcome to another week here on the News Wrap. I simply couldn't be happier to be joined by three people from the indie sector who look after some of the biggest shows out there. We have the Garden founder, Magnus Temple, initial co-managing director, Katie Manley, and Kirsty Cunningham, the head of programmes for the BBC Studios documentary unit in London and Cardiff. Now, plenty has been happening this month, but one thing that may have slightly fallen under the radar amidst unlockdowns and uh, pub gardens and line of duty may have been some new duty of care regulations. We're going to come on to those in a second. But first, I thought maybe we could start with you, Magnus. We're almost, we're, we're doing this around exactly two years after the, uh, the Jeremy Kyle show was taken off air. What would you say has changed over the past couple of years in terms of duty of care? I suppose in a way, people's awareness, um, most significantly, I think there's a, um, a lot more um, scrutiny, I think duty of care has really been put under the spotlight. I mean, as far as we are concerned as a company, the sort of the type of programming that we make, I think we've always been very um, acutely aware of our sort of duty of care obligations. It's partly because, you know, we're known for um, doing series like 24 hours in A&E, where there's such a, a clear need to look after your contributors. Um, and, and as a result, we've really established some very sort of significant protocols around how 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 we you know how we care for the um, contributors that we're filming with but I suppose the other thing is is, is that we are in a very ch um, fast changing world in terms of sort of social media and in terms of the way in which audiences interact and en engage with contributors in programs so I think that they I think in a way quite rightly there has been a particular spotlight and I, and I think it's it's right that um, Ofcom have you know have responded have responded to that and how about you Kirsty we're we're going to talk about different genres I think in a little bit more detail but for you working more in the documentaries world do you feel like quite a lot has changed or or has it always been has it been par for the course I'd, I'd absolutely echo what Magnus is saying that that the kind of the, that what's being talked about now has been at the kind of core of how we've been working in docs 
and kind of it's just in, it's been I guess for me it's been at the heart of kind of informing both the stories we can tell how we work with people and also how we work as a team so it's, it's been there and I think what's what's changed is that now I guess that's always been something that was sort of talked away about separately is now it's kind of being talked about wider across the mm. across factual which is only a good thing and I think you know if, if the the protocols and the way we work can be kind of replicated, then that's that's going to be positive. And, and you know, rather than limiting, hopefully expand what we can what we can do and do it uh, with the right safeguards in there. That's interesting, Kirsty. So for you, it, it was each each genre had its own almost duty of care silo that has now been like brought together almost recently. Would, would that be fair to say? Well, I guess for me, I can only talk from a doc's background. And from, from me, in, all I'm kind of really aware of is when I read it when we're kind of discussing these new protocols they are what we've been working to as standard and in fact more than just working them as standards we're also kind of always working out a bespoke approach I think you know what you look at is every time you're starting a production and before you're starting when you think of an idea right from the start it's about how do we not just kind of take guidelines and things how do we kind of look at what meaningfully can we do to ensure consent is informed and what does informed consent look like for somebody like Magnus is talking about in A&E who's in a kind of trauma situation what does it look like for them and their family what does it look like for if you want to make a program about bereavement and young people what does it look like for if you want to make something about mental health so I think it's kind of looking at in each of those individual settings that's Mm. the key Mm. and presumably you have to get quite a lot of help from outside groups and whatnot to, to inform in each of these areas I was just going to say, I mean, uh, Kirsty and I uh, worked together on a, an earlier series of 24 hours in mm-hmm. A&E. So we're, we're very much t- talking with the same sort of framework. But of course, if you're working in a sort of an environment where there are sort of medical um, professionals around or professional or men- and mental health professionals too, you are at least able to also seek their um, guidance. But I think in a way, when you're working in worlds where you know that you were dealing with vulnerable contributors and they're and that they're at points of kind of crisis or high stress in their lives, it's you, you become so acutely aware of their their duty of care needs. And I think in some ways it's perhaps the kind of programming where that's kind of less the case, where perhaps the attention needs to be driven more. And, and, and in a way, as you're sort of suggesting, I think there's probably quite a lot to be borrowed from the kind of worlds of documentary where it almost becomes second nature and put into in, into worlds where it may it may not occur to people that there is this, the same kind of requirements and needs. I mean, well, I mean, speaking from a sort of reality TV perspective, which obviously initial make quite a broad range of programmes from quiz shows to, to um, reality, I think, you know, what part of my background is Big Brother and we've had, you know, care processes in place since the very beginning but they've evolved and evolved and evolved and we have constantly evaluated those and I think some of those have become standard across the reality programs and have have followed because the trouble is you know I think they have to continue to evolve you can't just get to a place where you think okay we've got our process sorted because you just always need to be thinking and evaluating what's happening outside world and I think you know you're talking about the medical settings and how you can kind of get people to give informed consent under very traumatic situations it's also it's sort of a different perspective of that is you know if somebody going into a reality program it's 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 kind of really hard to give to get them to give informed consent because actually people can be really blinded by wanting to be on tv and what they think it's going to mm. be like that that to give them a clear perspective of what it actually 
may be like for them is quite hard because I think they are sort of going in some people are going in thinking I want to be famous I want to do this so I can you know maximize my Instagram following and it can be hard for them to sort of hear what you're telling us I think you I think reality producers do have a real responsibility to make sure that message gets through because you know you can if just because you've told somebody what it could be like for them it doesn't mean they hear it and understand I think it's really a responsibility of the producers to try and make them understand uh, what you're telling them you know we mm. we introduced something um, called the talk of doom which I think a lot of the, the industry uses I mean we introduced this like 18 years ago or something and um you know I can sort of tell it off by heart but I know that just because I tell you it's not that fun being famous it doesn't mean you'll believe me so I think we just have to go further and in offering that in, in, in giving that informed consent and that's just the beginning of the process isn't it that's just the beginning of the process really so mm. it's, it's 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 funny how it's slightly different in each genre but equally important and equally challenging it's interesting, isn't it, Katie? Because I, I was thinking about, I was thinking back to when we did first series of the Channel 4 um, rig series, the first rig series, um, called, you know, The Family. And I remember so clearly that seemed for us, at, at least, obviously not if you're working on Big Brother, but it seemed like you were really putting a family, you were exposing a family, you know, 24 hours a day for four months to the kind of you know, to kind of scrutiny that they really, really weren't used to. And of course, like you're naturally doing that thing when you're casting, where it's partly you're there to sort of try and persuade people to get involved in your project and you're trying, there's a kind of seduction goes on, but you have to be very, very careful to also ensure that there is this very, very clear talk of doom because people just think it's all the consequences of what's going to happen. It's all going to be great. And of course, like, you know, that uh, this is like, you know, perhaps 13 years ago when we were doing that. And now the way in which kind of social media has has progressed and moved on, the ability for a kind of the, the exposure that people face in those situations is, is so much more. And that's only going to, you know, we can't quite, we can't foresee the future, but that's only going to become more so. It's going to be harder and harder to really get people to understand the full consequences of what they're getting that's involved it. Yes, and I think it's, I mean, Max may want us to come to this later, but just it is really, really interesting and complex dynamic between being a producer and wanting to get the best possible content for your programme and balancing the welfare needs for the participants. And, you know, every production is different and budgets are tight across the board. It does feel to me sometimes that does need to be an independent person because mm. we all mm. know how we want to produce programmes and we want to sort of get the best content and you know, in the heat of that moment, I think, you know, you, you, you don't want to push people. And I think it's quite good if somebody is there to sort of help monitor that. And when does the talk of doom come into play, just out of interest? Like, at what point would you sit that person down and really inform them of, of what might be to come? I think it depends on the production. I think, I think, and also, you know, we, given all the new guidelines that we've got and the regulations that we've got, I think, it, you know, it, that's re it, they're really helpful because I think, you know, I think every, every production really needs to have a duty of care process. And the duty of care process should, in my opinion, begin before you, you know, as you make that first contact with somebody. So really, you know, it's up to the individual production when the talk of doing comes in because you don't, it, it needs to be really thorough and in-depth and bespoke to that person and bespoke to the production. So really, I don't think you should do it too early because you don't know who's going to be in the programme. But from that very first contact, you, know, you need to really think about clearly how you're approaching people 
what you're telling them, what you're asking of them, so that every step of the way, it's it's clear the information is clearly communicated and people know what they're getting into. And it may be they don't need all the information at the very beginning because it may not be relevant. But I think if you, as on a production, if everybody has a care process thought out on every single production, it starts with the first contact made with any participant and ends well after the production has TXed. I think you need to think about that course and what comes at what point. And I don't think it should be set. I think it should be bespoke. And, and and what about Kirsty? How about production staff? I, I, a few weeks ago, we had the the team behind Football's Darker Secret came onto the podcast. They were they were fantastic, and we were, we were talking about duty of care a little bit. Uh, Daniel Gordon and, and Hugh Davis, who made that show, and they were talking about how important it is to look after production staff. They'd obviously just come off the back of a three year documentary series that included interviews with multiple people who had been victim to the most horrible types of abuse so how from the get-go how do you go about caring for staff that's a really I mean I think that is it's interesting isn't it? sort of duty of care is it's so important that encompasses our team because they're the ones it's the researcher who's maybe having that initial conversation with somebody it's then that's kind of who's who is it that the the contributors calling and stuff so I think in terms of our our duty to care to them I think it's in all sorts of ways it's making sure crucially that there's a kind of I think kind of having a sense of purpose and meaning and knowing why you're making that program what's it's what who's it giving a voice to and why and who can it reach I think that is at the heart of kind of what we do isn't it and the kind of we're meaning makers and so there's there's that and then I around that I've personally sort of really found working with darts who are kind of specialists in terms of working with journalists program makers on trauma to ensure we're working in a trauma-informed way mm. and that's being trauma-informed both in terms of how we deal how we tell stories how we work with contributors but crucially also in terms of thinking about ourselves as program makers i think we can be awful at kind of acknowledging uh, and i think we're getting much better at acknowledging individually and teams about the impact of exposure at different points you know at that moment and over careers so I think there's that so that they're also kind of armed to you know you want to carry on telling these difficult stories but to do that you need to have that kind of the tools in your box in the same way that we think about our contributors so it's thinking about everyone in the same way Mm. Um, and I think you know I think on big productions like you know the 24 hours and eight, the ambulances and those kind of things there's kind of there's kind of clear ways in which we do that and then I think on the smaller team that we do that anyway. I was gonna I was gonna say that one of the things I, I sort of I noticed last year when we when we were filming the last series of 24 hours and AE was really interesting how we had to almost be more aware of the impact on the teams because everyone had to work in a very sort of um, COVID safe way, mm. quite separate bubbles. And there was like not the kind of outlet to go down the pub or to kind of, to sort of have that sort of release. And it was, it felt like very important to try and find forums where people could just share experiences or in just, was, we just had to keep more of an eye on people, I think actually over the last year, because there wasn't just the opportunities for people to, to gather as a, and I was also going to say that we we always have the ability for people to call a counseling line um if they need to or if they you know if they're feeling particularly distressed that said of course people aren't always aware of how they're feeling about something at the time and I certainly know on some of the programs we've done where when there has been evidently something traumatic that people have witnessed we then have to take sort of um, extra steps to make sure people are okay because people don't always put themselves 
um, forward in those situations. It's part of the sort of freelance nature of the industry makes it really hard as well, because, you know, um, as, as you've both alluded to, you know, when you're making contact with these contributors and building relationships or and, and becoming involved in people's lives or difficult events, then, you know, you are the main point of contact as a, as a production team member. But it may be that, you know, then your contract comes to an end and you're still the point of contact in the mind of the contributors, but you know, you're no longer being paid for it or working for the company. So I think, again, you know, it is important to maybe just have some standard procedures in place. We, you know, there is a, again, we have a line that people, that, um, people can call for counselling support. We have mental health first aiders embedded in each production as well. It's sort of training that Banerjee offer and that's really helpful and I think you know if you have a set process at the end of each production that you reiterate that information that's available and make sure that all the contributors are handed over to a continuing contact within the company so that you know it's very everyone's got very very clear instructions for who to contact this person's leaving and everything's handed over it's just you know it's so rushed on production at times isn't it it's very very hectic and I think if you just have standard procedures in place like that you know an email that goes out to the team to make sure they've got the support they need and make sure that the team is handed over to a central point within the company itself then that's hopefully helpful and and I'm sure I think that that will continue to evolve given the way that everyone's been working in COVID um, the support that can be offered to the teams hopefully we can work on it and make it even better because I know it's really really been really hard this last year especially for people one of the things that I'm, I'm sure you're um, both aware of, which I think really does m- make a difference and helps both in terms of the staff working on the production, but also the staff's responsibility towards contributors is on the sort of um, large scale production is having, we, we always have either a one or two day sort of, um, or sometimes more kind of boot camp, which basically uh, sort of establishes a kind of framework and where um, you might be talking partly about kind of, editorial and creative and sort of technical issues but you're also talking about kind of people's responsibility and you're sort of setting the parameters because of course like from the top of a company or from the top of a production you you may be instinctively aware of how to behave in a certain situation but of course like you've often you've got hundreds of people to impart information to and however much you kind of give them a pack and say look here's how it's working, here are all the protocols. There's like nothing better than like sessions where you're able to share and talk and people are able to say, so in this situation, what what do I do? Or like, here's a situation, what does, does that, does that amount to consent or not, you know? Mm. So I think that, that there are, I think there are various kind of frameworks that you can put in place to ensure that t- like teams are really aware of their responsibility, but both the contributors and also to kind of to each other like sort of almost establishing like the culture of the production so that actually people feel, okay, they're being well looked after. They understand what's required of them. Yeah. I I think the, um, the dual impact of COVID, uh, Jed Mercurio brought this up uh, in an interview I did with him a couple of weeks ago, but the dual. Name dropping there, Max. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard of him until I interviewed him. (laughs) That dual impact of um, the COVID protocols, meaning you're working harder and for longer and they're more onerous, coupled with the lack of outlet, the lack of being able to go to the pub afterwards is, uh, it seems to have sort of hit people really hard. And it's clearly something that 
that everybody's trying to navigate. But look, moving on slightly to these to these regulations, which just came in this month and are looking broadly to create more parity between the treatment of under 18s and the treatment of over 18s. So the update to the regulars code of practice make it incumbent to take due care over the welfare of a contributor who might be at risk of significant harm as a result of taking part in a, in a program. These people may not be used to public attention while the show itself may pose a risk if it's filmed in a constructed environment, could attract high levels of press or social media uh, scrutiny. Uh, Adam Baxter from Ofcom said they, the new updates strike a clear balance between broadcasters' creative freedoms and the welfare of the people they feature. What, what do you, Katie, do you think uh, lots is changing now because of these regulations or, or again, is this, is this kind of par for the course? I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's standardising it. And I think that's mm. really, really useful because there's, you know, so many different companies making so many different programmes. And sometimes it might be down to an individual to uh, previously to, to impart what they think is suitable. Whereas now there's, there's industry standards, which I think is brilliant. And I think, you know, we're being asked to risk assess, aren't we? And I think that's, you know, we've risk assessed health and safety for years and so actually it makes total sense that we're risk assessing all the other elements of a, of a production and I think I think it's really really helpful I think that I think they're brilliant actually I, I suppose in some ways I think as we've been saying is 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 that there are some ways in which we've all been doing these things mm. but I think that establishing a kind of clear framework is really useful because it just establishes an awareness it's a kind of like it just just helps everyone like stop and think, have a moment of thought. And sometimes as long as it doesn't become so utterly bureaucratic that it actually sort of prevents the thing you're trying to achieve in some ways, I think it's really helpful to have that kind of, right, this is a framework I'm working within. This is what I now, this is how I need to go forward with this particular process. Uh, I, I don't, I, it doesn't feel like there's anything within it that feels like onerous or is going to be impractical. And I think that it's, I think it's exactly right that Ofcom should be um, responding to sort of uh, update guidance in light of changes in the world too. I think that the other thing is it's really useful now, I think, you know, what in terms of translating that into practice, it's sort of in terms of getting that into that recognition, which I think is going to be key going forward into, into budgets and into schedules and into, you know, picking up on your point, Katie, about freelancers, you know, making sure that if they've been holding those relationships, that they're absolutely budgeted to be there around broadcast, you know, thinking about aftercare from the beginning in terms of their working kind of schedules and so on. So I think that's, that's really useful that it kind of helps uh, put that kind of put the spotlight on that. And is there anything I, I'd probably throw this open to all three of you? Could the regulator have gone further in any way? So, so are there maybe duty of care regulations that you would like to see come in that currently aren't in the space? I think it's really hard for a regulator because they are they 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 are trying to kind of strike a balance. They're trying to respond appropriately, um, and of course, in some ways, it's sort of. We wait to see exactly how they're going to apply these regulations, you know, as in like, to, it would be interesting when there is a few sort of test cases that go through that are judged upon these, these uh, new regulations. But um, I think they probably strike the balance about right. That said, like, I think these things always need to be kept under review because the what one like programming is changing all the time, but also the work, the world and the way that people interact with content is changing all the time too. So 
um, it's absolutely right that there should be a constant sort of watching brief. I mean, there's one, the one area I think that is interesting because of course there are, there are two areas of the regulations that are, are changing in particular. And one is around the kind of the offence rule changes. So it's actually, there's a kind of, in a way there's like a duty of care to the contributors, but there's also an impact on the audience that if they perceive that a contributor is being at, or put up, put in harm's way, so to speak, even if they're not, then that could also fall foul of the code. And, and that, I think, I'm, I'm sure they will be reasonable in the way that they sort of interpret offence. But that's kind of, a, that's also an interesting, I know that it already applies to children, but that will be interesting to see quite how that is uh, uh, is interpreted it's like you're reading off my question sheet magnus fantastic no, <laughs> apology accepted i'm trying to make it you know like you know we're uh... <laughs> <laughs> no honestly i, I think it's i think that the audience's element is is super interesting the new rules also state that the updates should protect audiences as material that could cause offense to viewers must now be justified by its context uh katie i was wondering Having uh, overseen big reality entertainment shows, what what do you think about that? Do you think this is something that should have come in sooner, maybe? I think, I don't know, it's really difficult because I, I don't want content to be so sort of regulated and monitored that it becomes censored. And in the same way, I think they've taken great pains to say, you know, we want to have the diversity of voices. We want people to be able to behave how they want to behave on on tv and not censor it i think it's really important not to you know everybody should have a voice and be able to use it and i think that's surely at the heart of most people's broadcasting so i think that the, the regulations that have been outlined sound t totally doable and fair and right i just hope that doesn't end up meaning that programs become more bland as a result mm. yeah because i suppose in like inherent in what we all do there's a sort of level of kind of risk-taking, sort of creative risk-taking. And of course, in a, in a way, which is why the guidelines, everyone needs to kind of, they need to keep evolving because each, you know, like the, the programmes are going to keep evolving. And that's absolutely right, that you want to continue being able to take risks. And with those risks, you need to make sure that you are taking the appropriate duty of care measures. But you obviously don't want to be in a situation where everyone is so... I'm cautious about what what they're even proposing to make everyone is playing it so safe because I don't think that serves anyone you know nothing nothing has been achieved by people playing it safe with just one more thing about reality I think part of the reason the reality tv is so successful is because it creates drama and you know it, it is it isn't scripted you know it's not you know you're not watching an episode of a drama in which you're seeing this drama and conflict and you know this obviously it is exciting to watch drama is conflict that's what you're taught at school isn't it when you're learning about um you know plays and um I think so sometimes in reality tv that is engineered by the producers conflict is engineered in order to create a dramatic and exciting episode of a program and conflict can be sort of you know upsetting it can be upsetting to watch it can be upsetting to take part in so it, it, i think everyone's going to have to look at what the producers of some reality programs are doing in order to engineer that conflict but it's not unfair to the participants i mean it's not the case of big brother it's just because that actually isn't sort of produced in that way but in, in lots of programs you know producers are sort of talking with contributors and telling them what's been said and you know egging them on to behave in a certain way that is part of that is part of the way in which a lot of television is produced and I think that is 
going to need to be looked at. Yeah, yeah. I think one example that I remember coming up quite a lot was that that kind of jeopardy that's introduced to a show like Love Island. Uh, I remember watching episodes where Molly May, for example, would be like told about a, a bunch of tweets that had been made about her in the outside world. And that would, you know, and, and it makes for great drama when you're watching it, but, but clearly kind of like might have caused a bit of jeopardy. So maybe those are the kind of things that are now producers might think twice about. Yeah, I think it's right that we think twice about it. And I'm sure that it won't be the case that we can't produce TV programmes, but I think it, it's right that everything is considered. In a way, that's kind of what these new regulations are doing, aren't they? They're just sort of ha- helping make sure that those things do get... The sort of things that people are considering anyway are, are universally applied and, and universally considered. Key is making sure as well, isn't it? I think that they that becomes kind of embedded across the team. And what I, I guess there's, for me, there feels like there's a potential risk around if it becomes sort of compartmentalised. And actually, uh, you know, I'd hate that to be seen in the sense of, okay, we've done our risk matrix, rather than that just it being embedded in every decision from how we, you know, a, across the whole process. And I guess that's one thing just to keep a an eye on, isn't it? Mm, that's yeah, interesting, it, yeah. It does become like a sort of box ticking exercise. It's like almost a going through it automatically rather than it becoming, because that's absolutely right. I mean, really, it should be, it kind of should be embedded in the way that you approach the programmes you're making, as opposed to thinking, oh, right, now I have to um, I just have to tick this box off. Yeah, mm. I mean, particularly in a kind of world when we kind of like the number of kind of health and safety protocols with COVID and so on is so huge, I'd hate it to become seen as kind of aligned with that, rather mm. than, you know, what your hope is with this, that it becomes absolutely kind of, you know, directors, it's, it's at the heart of them thinking about how to tell the stories they want to tell, and, and actually allow I, th- I genuinely believe that the more we kind of are kind of up front and having these discussions the braver we can be in a safe way about the kind of programs we we can tell and I think sometimes we kind of self-edit if we don't feel totally secure in the duty of care to our contributors and our team so I, I that's my hope is that it kind of actually springboards and develops even more you know yeah, yeah, that's interesting about the box ticking as well. It's it's what people say about Project Diamond forms sometimes, isn't it? I know that's a very separate can of worms, but that kind of gets to the end of production and then it's like, oh, uh, crap, we have to fill in the form. So I imagine what, you'd want to avoid a similar scenario. Fantastic stuff. Well, look, I couldn't uh, I couldn't let you guys go without uh, without asking you all what you've been watching, which is our, our favourite question to ask our guests on the broadcast news wrap. So I can see you all deep in thought uh, as you as you consider your your TV from from the past weeks. Kirsty, what have you been watching? Uh, so I caught up on uh, I, I love Call My Agents. So I've been watching that. Um, I've well, I really love the Ronan Kemp documentary. I thought that was amazing. Uh, those are the two most recent things that mm. I and um, the Black History of Resistance. That was fantastic. I really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. How about yourself, Katie? What have you been watching on TV? Call my agent as well, Kirsty. Isn't it brilliant? I love it. Uh, call my agent and the flight attendant and line of duty, of course. I've okay. saved line of duty to watch all together. Oh yes. <laughs> That's a good choice. It's driving me mad waiting, waiting for a week. Good stuff. And how about you, Magnus? Are you going to make it a call my agent hat trick? Um, obviously, I've very loyally been watching um, the latest series of Police Custody. And this Monday's episode was um, particularly powerful for those that haven't seen it. And also, Your Honour, the Brian Cranston um, um, HBO series. And uh, also, I know this is not a new one, but um, Ozark as well. 
box set watching. Good stuff. Good stuff. Nice little cross section of shows there. That was fantastic. So look, look, it's been absolutely wonderful. I've, I've been really, really interested to get a little bit more detail and, and really get under the skin of this topic. So thank you so much, Katie, Kirsty, and Magnus for appearing on the News Wrap. Thank you, Max. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Broadcast News Wrap with me, Max Goldbart, the Garden founder, Magnus Temple, initial co-managing director, Katie Manley, and Kirsty Cunningham the Head of Programming for BBC Studios Documentary Unit in London and Cardiff. This podcast was edited by Hannah Bowler. You can check out all 41 past episodes of the pod on Spotify and iTunes or on the website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk. Thank you to our sponsor, Creative Cities Convention. This year, Creative Cities Convention is a virtual event. For £75 plus VAT, you will get around 30 sessions, including talks and debates on the hot topics in production and broadcasting across the UK from industry leaders and experts, all available on demand from the 22nd of April to the 31st of May 2021. To buy a ticket or see the lineup, please visit www creativecitiesconvention.com. And now, on with the podcast.